Um, so maybe quickly, just, I was like, it's funny, I was sitting there in worship actually, and I was like that lost in worship. I think it was like halfway through the last song, and I was like, I wonder who the speaker is this morning. And it was kind of like, <laughs> okay, I have to go up here and do this. So. But um, hands up here, who was here last week uh, when Richard was speaking? Okay, that's quite a few. Cool. Um, and who here loves Richard? <laughs> He's one of those really uh, cool guys. I was actually lying in bed last night, and I was sitting thinking about the talk last week, and I was like, I was like laughing like halfway through the talk and then it's one of those guys you're laughing away and you've actually no idea what you're laughing about. What he does is we like laugh giggle thing and you just laugh along with him and it's great. Um, so yeah, so as you already know, um, and for those of you who weren't here last night, we've started our new sermon series um, in November called um, God Has a Name. And uh, Richard started us off last week um, really with an introduction and with a look um, at Exodus 3 um, really where God spoke to Moses um, in, the, in the burning bush. Can't hardly pronounce that. And you'll remember God told Moses um, to go to Pharaoh um, and lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And we've seen that Moses asked God this question. And he said, when I go to the people and they ask, what is your name? What should I tell them? And God said to Moses these really famous words. He said, I am who I am. And told them to tell the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And Richard really began to, I suppose, unpack this idea um, as we looked on down in chapter 3, that God has a name. And in a little while, um, we're going to read um, a bit further on down in the story in Exodus 34. Um, but before we do that, um, I want to just throw out a few questions just maybe to get you thinking a wee bit at the outset. You know, what if I ask you the question, and it's a massive one, I don't think any of us fully know the answer to this, but you know, who is God or what is he like? And we're actually chatting about that a wee bit in TT yesterday, and it's one of those head fryer things. If someone actually asks you that, you're like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not really sure. But you know, if someone in this street stopped you and asked you that, do you know what you would say? I wonder, would you really actually have any idea um, where to start? And really, you know, there's so many aspects of God's character that are outside of our human thinking. You know, there's an aspect of God that he just is. You know, he is other. In one sense, we don't really have words, um, really, or context, um, how to describe him. And it amazes me, you know, he created the smallest plants and animals, all the wee microorganisms, the very cells that make up your body. You're right up to, like, full mountain ranges, um, the seas and everything that's in them. It says in Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And um, even beyond that, he made whole solar systems and galaxies. Um, it says in Psalm 8.3, and I actually I love the Psalms, I think they're so rich. It says, when I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, and listen to this here, what it says, which you have set in place. You know, God set the very stars in place. That is who our God is. And it's one of the aspects of God's character that I love, and to be honest, I'm totally in amazement by. But I think sometimes when we think of the hugeness of God, you know, he can seem distant and far off. But, you know, here's the really amazing bit about all that. He's so huge and awesome and majestic, but yet he's so, so close. And the Bible says in Luke 12, 7, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, he knows the very hairs on your head. And yes, I don't know what there is at the minute. Someone else could 
pull me up on this. I think there's like 7, 8 billion people on the earth at the minute. But yet, he cares deeply and intimately about you. And you know, the Bible says he knows your beginning from your end. He knows you. And it just blows my mind really how that um, can even be. And I really fully can't get my head around it. But that's just who he is. And really, this is, leads me into our sermon series for November. It's called God Has a Name. And we're going to look at this concept. Well, I don't actually like calling it a concept. I think really it's a reality um, and a truth of who God is and how he relates to us now. Um, and we'll maybe read now. I think it'll come up on the screen, hopefully, the verses we're going to be looking at today. And as I say, we're going to be looking at these verses um, over the next couple of weeks, right through to the end um, of November. Um, and it's found in Exodus 34. I say we're a wee bit further on than where Richard was last week. I say it's Exodus 34, 5 to 8. And hopefully it'll come up on the screen. And if you want to read along in your Bible, if you've got one of them or a phone, that would be really, really good as well. So yeah, we're in Exodus 34 and say it starts in verse 5. It says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So thankfully I'm not looking at that last verse. Someone else can cover that bit. <laughs> but just really a quick bit of um, background in this passage. And I know some of this will be a recap um, on what Richard covered last week. Um, But I think it's really um, important, and especially because we're going to be in these verses for a few weeks. And these verses um, are the most re-quoted passage in Scripture. And when I say um, re-quoted, I mean the Bible re-quotes it um, right throughout, well, the remainder of the Bible. And there's a lot of references um, back to this passage. And this is also the first time, really, in Scripture that we see God um, declare something about himself. And the point of this series is really to take a look, hopefully um, in some depth, into what God says about himself, and really, I suppose, leading on from that, how that should impact like, our response to him. And this week, we're going to be focusing on just a few phrases, and it's the compassionate and gracious God, um, slow to anger. So the book of Exodus uh, really, I've already pronounced that, the book of Exodus really follows the story of Israel. And as some of you will know, and I say Richard touched on this a wee bit last week, um, the children of Israel, um, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, um, and the book of Exodus really follows their story um, as they're en route from slavery in Egypt uh, to a new land that God has promised them. But as many of you will know, it's a bit of a rough ride at times for them um, along the way. And really, at this period, at the head of the people um, of God is the prophet Moses. Um, So Moses really had a completely um, unique relationship with God. And we read things that God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And the chapter before, the one we're looking at in chapter 33, we get an insight into a conversation between God um, and Moses. And really, Moses is asking God to go with the Israelites every step of the way. And at one point, he asks God, um, show me your glory. And really in the context of this passage um, at this time, 
Um, God's glory was what we would now use words like his presence or his beauty. So Moses here is essentially asking God to show him who he really is. Now, thankfully for Moses, um, God says in verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. But he says in the previous verse in 19, something that when we take time and think about it, it's amazing. It says in verse 19, then he said these words, and this, this is God speaking to Moses. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So really we can see from this, God has a name. Um, and Richard talked about this um, last week. And you know, often we call God things like, well, obviously God, <laughs> um, which is okay to do. But really in a sense, that's probably the equivalent to me calling Christine wife which, depending on what kind of conversation we're having, <laughs> or, or argument, it has been used and does, does not go down well. Um, but really, God is not his name. You know, it's his title. And at the time of these passages, as and Richard referred to this, God would have been referred to as Yahweh. And we could get into all the meaning of that and the history of how we ended up with that word. But really, the main point with the word Yahweh is it's a relational word. Um, and it speaks of the nearness of God and his, and his, his desire um, to be in relationship with us. And as we know, later on, Jesus took this one step further and he taught us to call God uh, Father. So yeah, I just want to pick up again, that's a wee bit of context just sort of pre where we're talking about. Um, I want to pick up again these verses um, in chapter 4 and say hopefully that gives you some idea of where we are in the story. Um, and we'll maybe reread them um, if that's okay. So really, I say we're from through 33 there, and we're at this period now. So really, Moses, he gets up early in the morning, and he climbs up to the top of Mount Sinai. And then we read this amazing passage. And I'd encourage you even to listen, even to some of the language in it, especially in the first line. It really is amazing. And it says again, just reading it again, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. And I think so often we just read over things like that. It says, he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So as I say, that's just a very quick context. Um, and we've covered the passage and where it sits in the story with the children of Israel. Um, but as I say, we're going to look specifically today at that phrase, the compassionate and gracious God. And also really the, important, the, really the importance of how we view God um, and how his character affects uh, what we believe about our relationship to him. So probably you're thinking at this point, if I was down there, like, where's this guy going with all this? <laughs> but stick with me, we are, we are going somewhere here. And... Um, I was a bit worried when I was preparing for this that we'd probably just get, we could get bogged down um, in context and just get more knowledge. Um, but I want to take a look at a few, hopefully, practical points that we're just going to pull out from these um, verses. So really, I have three things I want to look at, but don't worry, they're fairly brief, hopefully. Um, the first one is um, what we worship matters. The second thing I want to look at is God's default towards us is mercy. 
And the third thing then really is with all of this in mind, you know, what's our response? And specifically, how then we need to interact and respond um, to others around us. So yeah, the first thing I want to look at is what we worship matters. And um, there's this truth really that applies to all of society, not just like our Christian spheres we're in, but right across um, all of society and secular society. And it's this, we become like what we worship. And um, A.W. Tozer has this really good quote, and it's this, he says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. And he said, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. So I'll read that again, because I think it's really, really rich and good. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. And a church leader said a thing to me a few um, years back. You know, some people are talking and things just kind of stick with you. And um, he said this. He says, the first thing you think about when you think about God will shape your destiny in life. Now, I think I'm probably hashing that up a bit. That's sort of probably a paraphrase of what he said. But the point is in that and all of that, you know, what we think about God and who he, really, who he is um, really, really matters. And I was thinking during the week, actually, with this statement, we become like what we worship. Now, I assume in a group this size, uh, many of you enjoy watching Netflix. I don't know, maybe. Um, for me, anyway, it's, yeah, the end of my days, normally spent like two hours just like Netflix, just watching complete rubbish to get my head switched off from work. But I wonder, like me, have you ever caught yourself on and you've had those times where you get like too into what you're watching? And I have caught myself during my day at work thinking to myself, Oh, like, I wonder if, like, so-and-so's okay. And I've got this, like, name um, going round and round in my head. And it's actually genuinely concerned about that place or that person. And the name's going, like, round and round in my head. And I can't for the life of me who, uh, who um, or can't for the life of me think who it is. And then it dawns on me, like, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, like, so-and-so out of that, like, Netflix drama I'm watching. <laughs> and it's not a real person at all. It's just a bit of a story. But, you know, you see, like, we become, like, what we worship. Now, I'm not saying at all, like, hear me here, like, I'm not saying um, that you're worshipping Netflix or a character from your favourite show, if that happens to you, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it's, good, it's a good example, you know, that what we fill our minds with through what we watch um, and listen um, really does matter. And likewise, and even more so, you know, what we think about God um, has a big impact on how we interact in our relationship with God. A few examples here, you know, if we think God is a cruel judge, we'll fear him. And likely we will turn into people who do that very thing, live in fear and create fear. You know, if we think of God as a life coach there to give our life that extra we add on, that wee bit of space, you know, that will shape us into people who believe God is there to serve our own needs and agenda. And we'll become self-centered, caring little about the people around us. You know, in this passage, God tells us that he is gracious and compassionate. And this is how we need to view God's character in every situation. He's gracious and compassionate. And I would say, to be perfectly honest, for a long time, I would say, I wouldn't say I had a wrong view of God, but a definitely a distorted view of who God is. And um, 
I gave my, it's not going into my whole testimony, it's just very, very brief, but I gave my life to Jesus when I was 11. But for a lot of my time following Jesus, I wasn't really sure, to be honest, um, who he was or how I should relate to him. And to be honest, when I first gave my life to Jesus, it was really a lot out of fear. I was basically worried um, that if I didn't follow Jesus, that basically I would go to hell. And really off that basis, I started my walk with him, basically believing, I suppose, um, that Jesus, or following Jesus, was really a matter um, of following a list of things you were meant to do and not do. And really, if you'd done those things pretty much right, um, all would be good. And nearly, nearly, I suppose, you could summarize it as like, I don't know what you call it, like a ticket to heaven type view of God. But I'm really glad to say, see, over the last six to seven years, um, God has been completely um, transforming my view on who he is. Um, and a lot of this basically came from a powerful encounter I had with God in my own bedroom. And really leading on from that, then I fell in with a group of people and um, I heard a lot of teaching around that idea of the Father Heart of God. And I know sometimes that's helpful and unhelpful, but it really helped me and has completely changed my life, to be honest, and how I view God and relate to him. But you see my point in all of this, what we think about God and who he is, it really matters. And he tells us he is gracious and a compassionate God, so to anger. And really who God is has massive implications for who we are. <laughs> but here's the problem in all of this and the challenge in all of this. With us, we often end up with a God who looks very like us or who we want him to look like. You know, there's a human inclination in all of us to make God in our own image. And we see that like right through scripture. You know, often our theology and Really, theology just means, in simplest terms, what we believe about God. You know, it tells us more about us than it does about God. And someone said, our theology is like a mirror. It shows us deep. It shows us what's deep inside of us. And it's a quote from a book I was reading recently, and it says this. Often we want a God who's controllable because we want to be God of our own lives. So, yeah, the second thing I want to look at then... I know I'm covering quite a wee bit here, but hopefully it's okay. The second thing I want to look at is God's baseline towards us is, mer towards us is mercy. So really, this passage is set in a context um, at that time where it was mostly pagan gods um, who required sacrifices from people. And uh, many would have started quite innocently with birds and different sort of like trivial things, but soon progressed. And as I mentioned at the start, the children of Israel at this time um, were previously in slavery in Egypt and are really now wandering through the desert. And really, if you lived in the ancient world at that time, um, you would have feared um, the gods or the small g gods, and it would have been very prevalent um, in all of society. But again, as I mentioned before, at this time period, the children of Israel would have known God's name to be Yahweh. But I want you for a minute really just to imagine yourself now um, as one of the children of Israel. So you've just came from a period of slavery in Egypt. You're now wandering through the desert. And Yahweh, the one true creator God, comes to your rescue. He saves you out of Egypt. He leads you across the Red Sea and across the desert. He gives you food and water, and you've done nothing to deserve it. You know, and even in the context of this passage at this time, Yahweh, creator God, was nothing like the pagan gods. 
He tells his people his name and his desire is to bring them into relationship with him. And really in Hebrew scripture, when we look at that, the order of things really matters. And order in this context um, often is a reflection of importance. So the fact that compassion and, compassionate and gracious is at the top of the list of characteristic traits really means that it's the dominant one um, and arguably um, the most important thing to know about him. So I want to take a quick look um, at this idea of God as Father. Now, I want to just set this up, I suppose, clearly. I think sometimes this language can sometimes be confusing because if you've had a poor relationship with your earthly father, um, this language can sometimes be very difficult. But I think in this context, this idea of God as Father is probably the best way to, to describe how we relate to God. And the word Father, as used in the Bible, means um, giver of life. But I want to ask you another question. Do you honestly believe God is your father? Or do you relate to God as father, really in the deepest part of your being? You know, he feels compassion for you. He's gracious and he wants to help you. Is this how you relate to God? Hebrews 4 says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And confidence, that's how we're to come to God. And I love the picture of the prodigal son. You know, no matter where you've been um, or what you've done recently or in the past, the father is already running towards you, arms spread open with a smile on his face, ready to receive you back. And compassionate is a feeling word, and God is like a father or even a mother, and we are like his children. And gracious really is an action word. It means like a parent, God comes to the rescue of his children. And we're now in that period um, that we live in now. Um, I believe really we should relate to God primarily um, as Father. As I keep saying, I keep going back to this, but you know, who God is to us has massive implications for who we are. And it really is a challenge to all of us and to everyone. You on a subconscious level, how do we really view God? And I guess it's easy to say he's gracious and compassionate, but do we really believe it? Or deep down, do we think God is angry with us? Like I'm a frustration or a disappointment or I've messed up too many times and I need to earn his love. You know, the amount of people I know that say, I know you can't earn God's love, but then they go straight back out doing um, exactly that same thing. And I wonder if any of these examples um, resonate with you. Have you ever said these things to yourself? I need to get my act together. I need to work harder. I need to do more. I need to be better. You, where do those feelings come from? I want to suggest they aren't from God. You, I myself, by default, who's someone like who likes doing lots of stuff. I'm pretty like task oriented. Probably just the nature of the work I do and stuff like that. And you, I like the feeling of achieving lots with my day, and often setting really like unrealistic targets. To be honest, but more and more, I'm learning that. God is merciful. And for those of you who are fathers, when you think of the love you have for your children, it's not based on their performance or what they do. You, you love them because of who they are. So can you imagine really how much greater God's love is towards his children? So really, that takes us on to our third point. In the time we've left, um, I know it feels like we're starting something different, but it's, it's quite brief and I think it's really good. 
In the time we've left, I want to take a quick look at the story um, of Jonah. And I'm sure anyone here who grew up in church, um, life and all that stuff, straight away are probably like, oh yeah, that's the one where the fish spoke's Jonah up on the beach, blah, 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 I know all about that. <laughs> but I had a closer look at it um, in prep for this, and some of the details of this story um, are really actually quite amazing. So as I say, this is going to set us up really for our last point. Um, and really it's this, so we know God is compassionate and gracious, but what's our response to that going to be? At the start um, of the book of Jonah, we read these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, probably pronounced that wrong, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So just to set some brief context, Nineveh was a fairly horrible place. Um, Nineveh was um, the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And Assyria really was the dominant empire of that day and really the enemy of Israel. And they'd been at war with the Hebrews um, on and off for centuries. And the Ninevites uh, were really known for their brutality and they really weren't nice people at all. So really if you're Jonah at this time, uh, Nineveh is really the last place you'd want to go uh, to plant a church. Um, so we read in verse 3 that Jonah fled to Tarsus which was in the opposite direction to Nineveh, where God had told him to go. But there's an interesting thing in here that I hadn't picked up on before. It says in verse 3 and 4 that Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord, which was interesting because I had always thought he ran away because he didn't want to go to the crazy people in Nineveh. But he's actually running away from God. So after he runs away, as I'm sure many of you know, we have the kids' story section where he gets swallowed by a whale and gets booked up on the beach in Nineveh. It was a very quick summary of that bit. And when he's in Nineveh, um, Jonah goes around the city preaching this message, and it's always the same. Repent, because God is going to destroy you. But really, in a shocking twist, the Ninevites do repent. Um, they turn away from worshipping other gods and the violence they were used to, and they repent and worship Yahweh. And even the king repents, and the people turn and beg for God's mercy. And we read this in chapter 3 um, and verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But here's the really interesting part of the story that I hadn't paid much attention to before. You would think when God relents of his anger that Jonah would have been rejoicing. You know, after all, he's just seen really one of the greatest moves of God. But instead, where do we find Jonah? He's having a huff with God. You ever had one of those? And the next verse in the story um, is so interesting um, at the start of chapter 4. And it says this. I think that bit will come up on the screen possibly. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarsus, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in, lo in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So you can see here Jonah is quoting Exodus 34, really back to God. And I'll reread that actually um, in the message version because I think the language in that's really good. It says this, Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. 
God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarsus. I knew you, and I love some of the words in this bit, I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. And I think this is so, so good. You know, Jonah is mad with God because he was compassionate and gracious with his enemies. And you know, God, God responds to all sorts of people. You know, not just the ones we think deserve it. And here's the point of the story. We all love that God is compassionate and gracious with us or with our friends. But what about when he's compassionate to our enemies? And I'll throw out a, big, a pretty big challenge here. What happens when God decides to be compassionate and gracious to the people we don't even like? You know, it's easy in church here to an extent to want the blessing and favor of God on others because when we look around, most of the people here are similar or like us. You know, what are we going to do if revival breaks out in Downpatrick and the people are coming into this church are the ones whose society have rejected? So really, it's, it's a massive challenge. But before I finish up, I just wanted to just recap really where, we've, where we're at. But um, i just go back over some of the stuff we covered. You know, how do you relate to God? I think we relate primarily now as Father. You know, in the deepest part of your being, um, is that truly how you, how you see him? You know, he feels compassion for you. He's, he's gracious. He wants to help. Is this how you relate to God? And it says, it said above in Hebrews 4, it says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And confidence, that's how we're to come to God. And as I said earlier, I love this picture of the prodigal son. You know, no matter where you've been or what you've done recently or in the past, the father is already running towards you, arms spread open, smile in his face, ready to receive you back. But there's always a but. But this demands a response in us. What happens like it, like it did to Jonah that God desires or God decides to pour out his favor on our enemies? And in a way, it's easy to love those we know will love us back. And I'm sure you maybe have people in your head already who have crossed your path in the past who secretly inside, you don't even want them to succeed, let alone God pour out his mercy on them. And in the book I was reading, there was a really good quote, um, and it was this, I think it's really good. You know, most of us want mercy for ourselves and justice for everyone else. And I'll read that again. It's very, very challenging. Most of, want, most, most of us want mercy for ourselves and justice for everyone else. And who has ever said that's not fair? You know, we all have an inbuilt tendency to want justice for others while expecting mercy for ourselves. But it doesn't work like that in God's economy. God shows mercy to all, and that means all. You know, there's a, in a way, there's a bit in all of us that love it when people get what they deserve, if we're being really honest. But what if they prosper? What if God decides to show compassion and grace to those people? And this is quoting Jesus, an absolute hero. It says this, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So another question to end who are your enemies? What would it look like to show, mercy, show them mercy and even love them? And I think sometimes 
when we use the word enemies, we can often like let ourselves off the hook a wee bit, as I do. And we're like, oh, I don't really feel like I have any enemies. It sounds a wee bit drastic and extreme, that. But you know, it's not just the big things. You know, often the small niggling things that are under the surface. You know, people we would never show it to, but they just really wind us up. And probably now, you have people in your head. <laughs> and you know, we need to be people, we need to be, I really believe in this season, we need to be people who keep check of our heart attitudes towards others. And as I say, and as I said, it might not have been someone you've had a full-blown fallout, but let's face it, we all have people who annoy us, or as the saying goes, they know how to push our buttons. And how are we going to respond to them? Or what about people you don't talk to? People you fell out with years ago and can't even really remember what you fell out about. Maybe it's a family member, an in-law, or, or outlaws as some of us like to call them, if you want to call them that, um, or a co-worker. How about someone, here, this is a really good one for Northern Ireland. How about someone from your last church? Hmm, let's leave that one. How about we start with forgiving them? But you're probably saying in your head, but don't deserve it. Do you want to know something? It doesn't really matter. You just have to do it. And then pray for them. Do you want to know something? Not that they'd get what they deserve, but for mercy and abundant blessing on them. And I know it sounds, <laughs> I'm actually aware I actually just said that, it sounds very ideal world. But honestly, from the experience if I had, see, see the release it will bring to you. It'll blow your mind. You're holding grudges against people is exhausting. And honestly, from the experience I've had, it's one of the things that will most hinder the, spirit, the move of the Spirit of God in your life. So who are the people today you need to show mercy to? Yeah, I'm a big believer. Head knowledge is one thing, but character is a whole different ballgame. To me, it's where everything's at. You can have all the head knowledge, but if it's never impacted your heart, what good is it to you? And I really believe, it's my firm belief, as we develop as a church and move into this next season, we need to be people who are authentic and show family and friends the character of Jesus and how, just really, through the, through the character of Jesus, just how we live and talk and interact with one another and show them something different. But I wanted to show, just in wrapping up, I really am nearly finished now, but um, I've said I've said that about three times, but it's, a wee, um, it's actually a wee Bill Johnson clip, and it's only literally two minutes long, but it really impacted me um, whenever I heard it, and um, I think this guy carries it so well. Jesus. You sign up to follow Jesus. You sign up to experience 
That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You know what I told Charlie? I said, you missed the song. Charlie's song got never stopped big. However, their zeal against me is for the reason that we stand here. That they're just trying to defend the gospel. I think I just saw one thing this week. Just check that out. I thought he was doing the same thing. And they're not my slaves. My slaves to Christ are the ones serving me. So I, I just I need to hear what he has to say. So yeah, I guess that guy he said <laughs> so much better than I ever could. But you see the point in all of this. You know, God has been compassionate and gracious to us. So surely that needs to be our response to others. And that Bill Johnson clip, it, it, it really changed my heart attitude massively in that. And I love what he said in the middle of that. Not, not just to tolerate those people, but to, to pray for them and to pray abundant favor and blessing on those. And the Bible says that it says to pray for those who persecute you. And I'm sure there's people in this room who have been deeply hurt um, by family, by friends, from people in this church and um, our previous churches. But there's that beautiful invitation. We can release the hold that it has on us when we pray for those people, when we choose to forgive them um, and pray abundant flavor, favor and blessing over those who have hurt us. And we've been talking about holiness um, in recent weeks. And I really believe if we're going to see the move of God in this area we're all dreaming of. We need to become people who are prepared to be authentic and own our own stuff and show the people in this area what it means to be real, sold out followers of Jesus. So really that's it. I've come to the end of that. But as I was mentioned in any of those things, um, really about forgiveness or holding grudges, please come up for prayer at the end. There's a team up here and um, I've been really blessed by some of the stuff they've poured into me. Um, and I promise you, when you choose to forgive those people, the freedom that will bring to you, I promise you, it will change your life. And likewise, um, this is a plug for prayer ministry. Even if you don't want any specific prayer um, and you want to just um, come up for prayer, come up anyway. Um, there's an amazing team up here who would uh, love to pray with you um, encourage you. And if you just want something encouraging for the season you're in, just come up um, and receive. It'll be really, really good. So thank you. So yeah. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in these moments. Come now, Spirit of God, and move in this room, God. I pray you would um, highlight people in our lives, God, who have been holding offense and grudges against. And God, we all have those people. You know, we're kidding ourselves if we don't. So God, Spirit of God, I pray you would come now. And I pray, God, this would be a morning, Father, where people would find freedom in the name of Jesus, God. And I pray this would be a morning where people would come forward, God, and repent of um, grudges and um, things that have been harboring towards other people, God. So I pray you just give us the boldness this morning, God, to come and be open and vulnerable before you. And God, come and um, receive and um, know the forgiveness, God. And God, we know, God, as we come and bring that to you, God, that there is freedom in the name of Jesus. So God, we pray that over this entire room now, God, you would set people free, God. Bitterness and offense, God, that's held them for years, God. I pray this would be the morning, God, where they would come and confess that and pray abundant favor and blessing over those people, God. And you would release them from them, God. 
and just, uh, yeah, let's be a morning where people would find freedom, God. So we praise your name and we thank you, God. And all of this is just possible, God, because of what you've done for us, God. And we are so thankful, God. You're such a good, good father and we praise your name. Thank you, Jesus.